I want to take a minute and I want to welcome our guest and we do want to welcome our guest. And so thank you for hanging out. If you're a guest online, we welcome you. And, and also we do this at Easter and it's just something we do, but every seat has a card on it. It's a response card. I'm going to ask everybody to go ahead and grab that card right now if, if you would. And, and I know you may be thinking, but pastor, we're buddies and you know, I have your cell phone number and know where you live and whatever, but I'm just still going to ask you to get the card. And then I'm going to ask everybody, this is, this is what we're going to do. By the way, if you're watching online, you can, I'm asking you to do this as, as well if you're watching online. And so if you'll test, text my pathway Easter to 94,000, my pathway Easter to 94,000, you'll get a link for the same card that we're using in person. But we do this. It's just a great time, number one, to know who's here. It's a great time to get new information and make sure all of our information is correct. But also, if you're a guest, if, we're, if you're a guest, we would love for you to fill out this card too. Um, and there's a place for you to check that you are a guest and uh, we'd like to hear from you. By the way, if you're wondering, no, we, we give you a no-hassle guarantee, meaning we're not going to call you unexpectedly, show up at your house, stalk you, or anything weird. We've like been here 12 years, no restraining orders. We're excited about that trend, and we, can, we really plan to continue it. And so, um, so you're safe. I'm not coming to steal your Easter candy, okay? But we would love to hear from you. If you're a guest online as well, you can check. I'm a guest, and um, however you found us. Um, but we would love for everyone, if you would right now, just fill out name, address, all the information you have right now in the middle, in the middle of Easter. I know you're like, what are we doing? It's madness, I know, but just fill it out. Um, and then on the back side of that, there's a couple of things that, that are helpful to us. And there's a survey question, and I would love for you just to answer that honestly. We would love to hear from you. And then also there's some like topics for messages and things. And um, I like to kind of hear, like I'm in a church bubble. I know I'm like a church boy in a church bubble. Um, but I, I want to hear, I'll, it's a great way for me to find out what maybe our church needs to hear about, learn about, know about. And I know, you know, maybe if you're in a more spirit-led Pentecostal genre, you're like, Lord, you're just supposed to pray and, and, and tell us what the Holy Spirit says. I, that's true, and I, I believe in being led by the Spirit, but we have a lot of the New Testament because people ask questions. And so, like, including the letters to the Corinthians, Paul was answering questions and solving problems and those type of things. And so, so I would like to hear from you, and we have some topics there that are usually pretty popular. And so you can check one of those. But also, if you don't see something, you're really interested in something or, or there's a burden on your heart, you just know. If you'd write down on the other, like I, I would really love to hear more, learn about, know about, and then mark that. And this just helps our team and our staff and just know how to serve you. So fill that out. And then when you get to the last part where it says A, B, C, or D, just stop for now because we're going to do something with that at the end, A, B, C, or D. No, we're not trying to check and see if you know your ABCs. Can I tell you something for real? Um, when I was in driver's ed, and they, they, they got to that, that section where they talked about if, you know, be pulled over in case you were drunk or something like that, and they might do a field sobriety test, and they might make you walk a line. And this is such a weird story to tell y'all, but I need to kill time while you're filling that out. Anyways, and they said one of the things they may ask you to do is do your ABCs backwards. I thought, I'm, I'm going to jail. I can be stone cold sober and going to jail. Like, I can't say my, I'm like, Z. And that's where I stopped right there. <laughs> Anyways, A, B, C, D. When you get to that place, um, just pause. And uh, we're going to come back there at the end. So fill that out. And now, um, as you're finishing that and also moving right along, grab your copy of God's Word, whatever it is. Um, digital, meaning you click, analog, meaning you turn pages. Grab your copy of God's Word and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And um, I have, it's probably a little bit, it's definitely categorically, thematically, it fits with this weekend and all that it symbolizes, etc. But um, it might be a little bit different approach, but it's just something that I really want to share with you because I don't, I don't know that we, we always... I don't know that it's, I don't know this explained well, and, and I'd love to try to explain it well, and that's not to say other people have tried and failed, that I know something or anything like that. I just, this is where my burden landed for this weekend, and so that's what I want to talk about. So we're in 1 Corinthians 15, and so 1 Corinthians, if you love Bible trivia, 
Some of you I know were sitting around, you know, today eating lunch, and you're like, yeah, we're going to be at the 545, and man, I hope he tells us some Bible trivia in case we ever find ourselves in like a Bible trivia duel to the death. We'll be able to, uh, or in case St. Peter, when we get to the pearly gates, ask Bible trivia questions, be like, our pastor prepared us for this moment. Um, but 1 Corinthians is not actually the first letter written to the Corinthians. It's actually the second. This third is actually, the second one is actually the third. Uh, the first one, um, there was, so Paul lived in Corinth for about 18 months and he planted a church, which we know is the church of Corinth. And then he, he left and then he's gone. And then he starts hearing about there's problems in, in the church. And so he writes a letter to address the problems and we don't know what happened, but the letter got lost. So imagine being that guy. <laughs> I lost the letter to the Corinthians. Like, I don't know if there's a place for, if there's a section for them in heaven, maybe that guy ends up in Adam's section because I just have a feeling when people get to heaven and realize how amazing it is and then think about Adam and his mistake and what it cost us all, I think Adam probably has security guards in heaven. Um, anyways, um, but, <laughs> but I think, um, anyway, so, so he lost the letter. So then Paul sends Timothy, then Paul writes some more. And so the, the letter to the Corinthians addresses some issues. Really, they had questions about, concerns about their and problems. Uh, I don't know. It's, it doesn't happen anymore. But back in those days, if you had a church full of people, you had problems. Nowadays, that never happens. Um, and, so, and so they had problems that really five questions, problems. Number one was about divisions because these people were saying, well, I'm from Paul and I'm from Apollos and I, this guy baptized me and I like his book and I like his teaching. I go to this church and I'm part of this denomination. And we, again, we don't have these problems today, but they were having those kind of difficulties. Um, that was kind of the, the first one. The, the second one was about sex, which we finally got that all figured out in our culture and world and church today. And so uh, finally, good thing about that. Um, and then there was one... Um, uh, so it was divisions, sex, oh, and then food, what you could eat, what you couldn't eat, who could eat it, who could not eat it, what was okay, what wasn't. Then gatherings, when we get together, how are we supposed to act and how crazy can we be and how crazy can we not be and what's permissible and not, and all these things. But when we get to the fifth issue, right, the fifth question, the fifth issue, that's where chapter 15 comes in because it talks about the, the validity, not only the, the validity, but the significance of the resurrection because there was a faction that had, had kind of started teaching the resurrection really doesn't matter for today. And Paul's like, Phew. like he's, Paul reacted the way I react when someone says LeBron is better than Michael Jordan. <laughs> this is what's wrong with our world. There are people who have believed this heresy. And I could go into all the reasons why, but if you know, you know. I'm just saying LeBron would never play with food poisoning. And he sure wouldn't put up like 30 points and win. He'd be out six weeks. That may be the best preaching that you're going to hear today, which is bad. Anyways, so Paul's like, it's the, it's the resurrection. And he's like, it is like... It, it is not just significant. It is the significant thing. It's the thing that makes everything make sense. And if, there, if the tomb is not empty, we should pack up and head to the house. Like if the tomb is not empty, there is no hope. There is no life. There is no joy. Like if the tomb is not empty, there's no reason for any of this. Like even life is meaningless without an empty tomb. And this is what Paul's trying to explain. And so I want to talk about the significance and relevance, not because I don't think you believe it, but I want to give some application to it that I don't think is commonly given as much. And so we're going to dive in together. First Corinthians, just going to read a few verses, and then we're going to spend our time on these. But it says, but in fact, this is 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For if by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Now he's explaining the first man is Adam, the second man is Jesus, and he clarifies that in verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And then he says, but each one in his order, Christ is the first or the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. And I just call this message risen. 
risen. So let's, um, let's pray together. God, thank you so much for this moment. Thank you for this weekend. Thank you, God, that the tomb is empty. So there is hope and there is life. And God, we can have peace and we can be saved. I mean, there's just everything can make sense because the tomb is empty. God, even our pain and suffering can make sense because the tomb is empty. God, there is nothing you can't redeem. And so, God, I just pray that right now we would lean in and not be distracted because it's Easter and all that, but, God, that we would just lean in and, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us and that we would hear, that God, that every person in here would hear your voice, something from you. God, you speak to our hearts and you change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So risen, risen, risen. I thought about, you know, when you're putting together a message, and I don't know why Easter is always the hardest one for me to put together. I guess it's because you all know how the story ends. So I can't wow you at the end like, the tomb was empty. And you're like, no way, Yahweh. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's always a struggle, but... um, but on this one, I just, I know what I want to talk about, but then I couldn't figure out what, I was like, how many catchy points? I don't know why they taught us this in, in homiletics or hermeneutics or whichever class they taught us. Um, one, one student asked one of our professors one time, he said, how many points should a good sermon have? And the professor said, at least one. Like, just get, <laughs> please get you one in there. And so... Um, So I really want to just cause and affect this one, and I want to talk about the problem and then the solution. So let's take it in that order. Number one, let's talk about the problem. Because you have to understand, I think, you know, growing up, I don't know if y'all are this way. I'm a church boy. I grew up in church. Are there any church boys and girls here? And so we knew, if we didn't know anything else, we always knew Jesus was the answer. Did y'all know that? Like whatever it was, Jesus. You know, like when you're in Sunday school, if there's a problem, I mean, he's like vanilla ice. Yo, I'll solve it, you know? Um, And so, like, Jesus (laughs) is the solution. And we always knew that, but in what way and how? So whatever the problem was, we knew Jesus was the solution. So when we're talking about the problem here, if I say, well, what is the problem? You're like, I don't know, but I know Jesus is the solution. And that's true. But when Paul is talking to the Corinthians, he explains that there's a problem. And it's so important, obviously, that we know what the problem is because without a problem, without knowing defining the problem. Like you're going to solve any problem. The first thing you have to do is identify what the problem is. Does it make sense to everyone? Because until you know exactly what the problem is and you've got the right problem, any solution you apply is not going to help. Right? Um, there was a, I like to hunt. There's a story about this, this husband. He was, he was a hunter and his wife decided she was going to surprise him. And so, uh, during the year, she went and bought a hunting rifle and she got, uh, without him knowing, and got someone to teach her how to use the hunting rifle and she bought camo clothes. And so when opening day came and he was ready to go to the lease, she popped up and said, surprise. And every man's like, what a dream come true. And she says, surprise, I know how to hunt and I'm going to go hunt with you. And he's like, Great. And so they go, and so he puts her in this stand, and, and he says, okay, you know, I'll be, you know, whatever over in this other stand, but if I hear, you know, you shoot, just stay in the stand, don't get out, stay in the stand, and I will come to you, and, and I'll help you. And so he puts her in the stand, and um, he's barely to his stand, and he hears a gunshot, you know, like that. It's great if you're a pastor, if you have sound effects. And so he hears a you know, and so he's like, wow, that's amazing. That's really fast. So, so he gets out of the stand. He starts towards her stand. And then he hears another. And he's like, uh-oh, what is going on? So he's running to her stand. And so he, he gets to her stand. He looks up. And he's like, what is, what is, what's going on? And she's like, there's a man out there trying to steal my deer. And in at about 100 yards out there is a man standing there with his hands up. And he said, lady, you can keep the deer just let me get my saddle off of it first. <laughs> the point is, it doesn't matter what gun you have or what equipment you have or how good a shot you are. If you don't know what you're aiming at, you, don't, you can't solve anything. Does that make sense? 
I wonder if she mounted it. Anyways, <laughs> you haven't lived until you have secretariat hanging. Anyway, that's so bad. Never mind. All right, so, and so I was thinking about that, and, and so here, Paul, Paul is telling us, he said there was a problem, and, and so his words were, he said, um, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who fall asleep, for as by one man came death, by man also came resurrection from the dead. Because it's interesting, so many times when we talk about why Jesus came, if I were to ask you why Jesus came, I'd get a lot of answers, I know, because I'm a pastor, and I'll get answers like, well, because um, our, our behavior, so sin, our behavior. Okay, well, I'm not saying that's not part of it. And, and, and we might get another answer say, well, so we can all go to heaven. Well, that's, I, again, it's not incorrect or, or because we need to be forgiven or we need peace or whatever. Again, not incorrect, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's complete. Because what Paul tells us the problem is, and then we'll work with this just a minute, because in his summation of the problem here to the Corinthians, his validation, if you will, for the resurrection. He didn't say Christ rose because you need to be forgiven. Although I'm not disputing, we need to be forgiven. He didn't say Christ rose because good people need to go to church. He didn't say Christ rose because church people need to go to heaven. He said, in one man, we all died. So another man came so we could all live. And so he defines the problem not as behavior, not, not as needing to go to heaven, but he defines the problem as death. In Genesis chapter 2, if we go all the way back to the beginning, because we've got to figure out, well, what does that mean? What does it mean, death? What, because sometimes the way God defines death and the way we define death are not always exactly the same. And so when we go back to Genesis chapter, chapter 3, we, we find out that Adam ate the wrong fruit salad, which I like fruit salad. I mean, there are some that I don't, but he ate the wrong one. And we all, and, and mankind died. But what's interesting is, you know, think back with me. Most of you know this from Sunday school, but God had put them in the garden and God put this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he put this tree of life and then a bunch of other trees, but these two were named. And he said, don't eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because if you do, you will die. And we know Adam and Eve, what they were beguiled. There's a good King James word. They were manipulated, tricked, whatever. We know that they took and ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, God says, as soon as you eat it, you will die. So my question to you is, did they die? But did they die? Because what's not in Genesis chapter 3 is a funeral. But did they die? Good job. But did they die? But did they die? There's no funeral. But God said, as soon as you eat this, you're going to die. And they ate it. And the answer is, yes, they died. Because, I mean, honestly, if you want the theology behind it, we're a triune being, spirit, soul, and body. So they died immediately in their spirit. Then they would die progressively in their soul, and they would die ultimately in their body. They died, but the way God explained death and the way typically we explain death, we're like there had to be a funeral. But there wasn't a funeral, but God said they were dead. Because we usually define death as an event, and God defines it as a condition. So, so we say, you know, if something happens, so for us, we say if your cardiovascular activity stops, that's an event, right? And we define that as death. For God, you can have people who are very much breathing with a pulse, but he's looking at them and he's saying, no, they're dead. Like you can, you can be what we would call alive, yet God would call you dead. Because, because for him, life is about something being present or someone. Death is about that being absent. 
It's how he defines life and death. So we go back to the garden, and now we're talking about Adam. And in chapter 2 of Genesis, because we've got to understand this, because how did he get make a, if death's the problem, we need to understand well, what started it, how did we get here, right? And so in Genesis chapter 2, two verse 7, it says, God formed Adam of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and Adam became a living being. So if you break that verse down, Adam consisted of two things, dirt and breath. Dirt and breath. So think about this. God takes the dirt, and, and I love this. <laughs> this is more Bible trivia. But anyways, it's interesting. When God forms Adam, he, he, the, the Hebrew word is he squishes him. He takes dirt and... <laughs> right? Squishes. By the way, when he makes Eve, the, the Hebrew word means he fashioned her. Thank the Lord he fashioned her. Come on, man, you miss a great time to say amen. <laughs> and if you're a man like me, we were squished, and the problem we have now is we're coming unsquished everywhere. Anyways, um, <laughs> I've got a six-pack. I just keep it hidden. <laughs> Not under this shirt, under the other. <laughs> Never mind, shut up. All right, anyways, um, and so God made Adam. So Adam consisted of two things. He consisted of dirt and breath. Let me give him another title. A self and a source. So when God took the dirt and made Adam, it said he made Adam. So the dirt was Adam. But for Adam to be Adam, he needed something else. Essentially, everything was there. You could say his DNA was there. You could say his organs were there. You could say his body was there. You could say he had hair and eyes and all those things. Like when he says he made Adam, he made Adam. But in order for Adam to be living, his self, his, his personality, his soul, who he was, his body, his self needed a source. So for Adam to come alive, it wasn't enough for him just to have bodies and organs and our body and organs and all those things. He had to have breath. And so God breathed in Adam and that's what made Adam come alive. So what happened in Genesis 3 when there wasn't a funeral, but there was a death? In Genesis 3, Adam lost the source to his self. He, he lost what gave him the power and the capacity to be him. He lost the fuel for his fire. And what happens when, when, when you lose, according to God, when, when you lose the breath of God, the life of God, the thing you were made to house, to hold, to live from, to be fueled by the, 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 the spirit, if you will, that tells you who you are, what you're called to do, that, that gives life to your body. What happens when you lose that? Well, you die, but you could still be moving around. Um, it's interesting in the parable that Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son, one of my favorites. Most of you know the story. His, his you know, son, he asks his dad for his inheritance early, gets his inheritance, goes to Vegas, wastes it all, blows it all. He's busting tables. Finally decides, I'm starving to death. I'm going to go home. This is, by the way, you're like, this is not in the Bible. Well, it's my version. Okay? Just work with me here. So, so he comes home and and then he finds his father's waiting on him. And it's interesting because when the, the father is explaining this situation to the older brother, he says, we, we have to celebrate because my son was lost and now he's found. He was dead and now he's alive. Now, typically when we talk about someone being lost, we're talking about their, their proximity to God. They're away from God. We're talking about closeness. But notice that he said lost and found, dead and alive. That he related lost to being dead and found to being alive. That, that it actually wasn't about location, if you will, but condition. Because was the son dead when he was in Vegas? No. Was he lost? No, really, he knew where he was. 
So it wasn't lost in terms of proximity or geographical location or closeness or nearness to God. Maybe it wasn't a description of his location. Maybe it was as a description of his condition. Meaning not he was lost, but he had lost something. Because when he comes back to the presence of the Father, now he's found something. So, so what is the problem? Because we have to figure it out. We've got to define it. So the problem isn't necessarily some of the things that maybe we think it is. According to Paul and according, I think, to God, obviously, Jesus, there's so much the Bible that points to this. But the problem, the problem of humanity, the problem for all of us, the problem for each of us is death. That is the problem that Jesus came to solve. That is, that is the problem that, that this, what this weekend symbolized Easter, the death, burial, and resurrection. That is what it is aimed at. And that's why the resurrection is very significant. And Paul is writing to say it is the significant thing. So that's the problem. So let's talk about the solutions. So if the problem then is death, then what's the solution? Well, Paul says to the Corinthians, for as by man came death, by man has also come the resurrection, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. So why did Jesus come? What's the problem? Death. Then what has to be the solution? See, a lot of times... We get into church and we start thinking the solutions are things. Sometimes before we get to church, we're trying to find the solution. And a lot of times you think, well, the solution is, is sin or our behavior. Like, like we're bad people and we need to be better people. And there's a lot of people I think that subscribe to this because they think the goal is to go to heaven after you die. And the way you go to heaven is you do more good stuff than bad stuff. Like that's, the, that's the solution. But if that was the solution, I, I think in John 10, 10, Jesus gives his personal mission statement when he says, you know, the thief comes to kill, stone, and destroy. But he said, I have come that you might have. Like, look at that. He didn't say, I have come that you might act better. I've come so you would be good church people. I've come so that you would serve or give to charity. He, he didn't even say, I've come so you could be forgiven, although we know he talked about that, and we know there's an application, and we know that's correct. And he didn't say, I have come so you can go to heaven, even though we understand that to be a part. No, he said, I have come that you might have life. Why? Because the problem was death, right? Right? So here's the reality. If you're created for something, you, you crave it whether you understand it and you lean into whatever you think will give that to you. So if you're a self and you need a source, again, if you don't know what the real source is, the problem we're trying to solve, you will constantly look for other sources to try to fuel yourself. Does that make sense? And, and so, so here's, here's what happens when we do this. Yeah, I brought pop, props. You know it's a good day. So in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, this was what Satan did to Adam that I don't know if you catch. Because remember, Adam was a self, and so Adam needed a... And the source was the breath. Y'all are doing so good. Gold stars for everybody this Easter. Y'all get candy. What Satan did was he tricked Adam into exchanging sources. Essentially, what God said is you can eat of every tree, including the tree of life. You can eat of every tree. But of this one tree, don't eat or you're going to die. And Satan comes out and he's like Adam and Eve, if you will, essentially. And he says, hey, guys, pss, pss, you know, <laughs> I guess he's a serpent. So pss, pss, pss. I told you being pastor, you got to have sound effects. He said, hey, you're not going to die. You're going to be like God. 
<laughs> and essentially, think about it, here's what he's saying. You're going to be like God without God. Because that's the penalty. It's interesting to me because there was no one more like God than Adam and Eve. He created them in his image. Satan is so good, he will teach you or, or convince you or trick you into thinking you can have what God wants you to have your way. Like he will convince you you can have happiness, joy, your way. You can have success, your way. Like you could seek first the kingdom and all these things would be added. Or Satan will say, no, 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 no. Be a good church person and go hard after this. Put this in the first place. Like he will always convince you and usually offer you something, especially Christians. He will offer you something that looks legitimate. Like he will offer you the, the fruit of bitterness, but make it, make it look like the fruit of discernment. And so he comes to Adam and Eve and he's like, oh, listen, you can be like God. Like you can be more than God said. Like God is not, God is holding you back. God is not being good. God is not giving you everything. All you have to do is become your own source. Live your own truth. Like don't accept God's truth. That's, no, no, no. That's not the right truth for you. Live your own truth. What you feel on the inside. Don't you feel like eating that fruit? Be your own moral compass. And so what he essentially does is he says, let self be your source. And so here's what we try to do. Like we have this balloon. This balloon is created to be filled up and it's created to fly, like float around. Like that's what it's built for. But, but here's the thing. What, what, what Satan will come and the first source he always gives is just be your own source. Like, be, make yourself happy. Do what feels good. Be your own moral compass, right? Choose your own truth. Live your own truth. And so here's what he's telling you. To do. Oh, I know you're loving this. I hope I don't, like, blow up my lungs. It's cardio. But this is, what he, this is what he's trying. He's trying to say, listen, you can make yourself alive you just got to pick the right thing for you. So it's like, hey, find another relationship. Make more money. Be more successful. Get more followers. Try another potion pill or whatever. Get, get some more essential oil, somebody. And that's what he's saying is like, you can find life your way. You can be alive your way. Like, do what makes you happy. Like, the truth is, most of the time, sin is just hurt, broken people trying to feel alive. And so, yeah, he'll say, no, 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 just do it. Do it your way. Like, no, no, no. Be your own source. No, no, no. I was never a clown I mean, I was, but not like a real clown, so I couldn't tie balloons. And if you're a clown, God bless you. Anyways, and so here's what he said. Like, you be your, this is what he told you, be your own source. And so Adam chose to be his own source. The problem was at the end of the day, when Adam was so full of Adam, he still doesn't float. He still falls. He's still down for the count. He still hasn't risen. So, so then, then, you know, comes the commandments and, and the old covenant, which, again, couldn't remove our sin. It couldn't fill us with life. But, but it, it showed us really the whole purpose of the law was never are the good, the knowledge of good. It was never to save us. It was to show us we couldn't be saved. Because what you could say is, is a lot of people, they, they come then when they realize I can't be made alive with myself. I look for something good to make me alive. So they look for re religion's a good thing. And, and they're like, oh, I can't be alive in myself, but I can do good. And I want you to understand that the tree that killed Adam and Eve wasn't just the knowledge of evil. It was the knowledge of good and evil. And the knowledge of good has just enough power, to, just as much power to kill you as the knowledge of evil. 
Jesus didn't come to try to get us to pivot between the knowledge of evil. In other words, doing bad stuff, and instead of doing bad stuff, do good stuff. No, he said, this is the problem. When you're doing bad stuff, it can't make you alive. The other problem is, when you're doing good stuff, it can't make you alive. And that's really why religion and the knowledge of good is more dangerous than the knowledge of evil. Because it makes us look alive on the outside while we're dead on the inside. Like, isn't that what Jesus told some of the religious people? He's like, man, you are the prettiest bunch of tombs I've ever seen. And so what happens, then we're like, well, I need to be, a, I'm a self and I need a source and so I need to be made alive. And so the bad stuff wasn't working, the broken relationships, all the bad decisions, all the whatever, sex and porn, you put in your blank, whatever it is. But now I've found good. Like, like now I don't get crossbones, skull tattoos. I get Bible verses. Now, now I don't wear bikinis. I wear one pieces. Now I don't go to Bon Jovi concerts. I go to Maverick City. Like, now I'm, in, I'm not in the bar. I'm in the life group. Did you notice, by the way, how much noise religion makes when it's essentially doing nothing? And so then we try like everything. Like I just, I got to try because that's religion, right? I just got to try harder to do good. Because if I try harder to do good, that's when life's going to work. When I get more good than bad, that's when I'm going to be alive. Like, this is what I, and so we do good, and we're, we're at church, and I think you should be, and you are, and praise the Lord. And we're in a live group, and we're leading a live group, and we're tithing, and we're serving, we're reading our Bible, and we're posting on Instagram. And we're doing one of those verse, those little posts, I don't know who needs to hear this. Let me help you. Nobody. Nobody needs to hear it. We didn't ask. I don't know what that is. Why is that a thing? I don't know who needs to hear it. Please stop. But we're helping people. And the problem is we do good, we do good, we do good. And at the end of the day, we're still dead. We still can't. We're still not going to rise. We're still not alive. And then comes Jesus. Because ultimately, we're a self, and we need a and there's And the enemy, what does he do? He tries. Do you know the enemy's okay with you being religious? He just doesn't want you alive. In fact, religious people who aren't alive do more damage to broken people who aren't alive. And so ultimately, like here is this, here we are, this self, and have everything we need to be a balloon to, to rise. But we got to have the right source. So then Jesus comes, and, and Paul says this to the Corinthians, I think it's verse 45, 1 Corinthians 15, 45, it says, so to written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, now that's Jesus became a life-giving spirit. So what he's saying is through Adam, we all died. But then Jesus came. To give us life. To make us alive. To fill our self. With the right. Source. This, this is the problem. That Jesus is trying to address. This is the problem he's trying to solve. Is you were a self, you were born with every bit of the dirt that you needed to be you. You were born with everything there, but it can't be what it's supposed to be. You can't be who you're supposed to be. You can't live the life he's called you to live. You can't have the joy he wants you to have or the peace that he wants you to have or the purpose that he wants you to have. You can't be that without him. So Jesus comes and he's like, you steal the dirt's there, 
There's still the self, but you need a source. Paul said this way, the Romans, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead can dwell in you and give life. Because what Jesus knows is when you finally put the right thing When you finally connect the self to the right source, it will rise. Now, here's the great thing. Because a lot of their teaching centered around the resurrection being something that might happen someday. In fact, do you remember the story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus? You remember that one? where Jesus had a friend named Lazarus and he had two sisters, Mary and Martha. And do you remember how um, Lazarus, they sent Jesus um, a message and said, hey, the one, you know, they like DM'd him and they said, the one that you love, Lazarus, is sick. And the Bible says, so Jesus loved Lazarus. So he waited four days till he died. What a friend we have in Jesus. (laughs) And so Jesus finally gets there and, and, and Jesus is basically having a conversation with the sisters. And of course they're doing the, if you would have been here and he said, no, he, he's going to rise. And they say, we know he'll rise in the resurrection in the end. And then Jesus says, no, I, it's one of the seven I am statements of Christ. I am the resurrection and the life. Think about this. For Jesus to leave their theology alone, that the resurrection was only significant at the end, then he needed to do nothing. But he did something in that he raised Lazarus in that moment back to life, claiming to be the resurrection. And and, and I think sometimes we look at that and we say, yes, he's the resurrection and he's the life. But you don't understand the object lesson was he was saying, no, the power of the resurrection is not just significant after you die. It's significant today. That it, it doesn't just raise you after you passed away. It brings life to you today. It makes you alive today. It connects yourself back to the source. And so what you have to understand is here we are, the dust of the ground. We are dust. We are a self, but we have to have a source. And that is what the empty tomb is about. And that is why Paul is telling the Corinthians, no, this is the most significant thing because the resurrection is about today. It makes you alive today. Yes, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Yes, the cross had to be accomplished, but the resurrection is where life comes. Like you could be forgiven and not alive. Jesus came not only to forgive you, not only to wash you, but to raise you to life again. And the resurrection starts or happens the moment that you put faith in God and you are filled with the source that gives you power and the capacity to be who God created you to be. It will help you win in your relationship, It'll help you win in your mind, help you win in your heart, and your soul, in your life. And it is for today. It is for now. Now's the day of salvation. Resurrection is now, not later. So when we come to Christ, are we forgiven? Yes. When we die, do we go to heaven? Yes. But what was Jesus aiming his life at and his sacrifice at? He was trying to get to the empty tomb because he wants you to be alive today. And so salvation It's where we reconnect to the source that we were designed to live from. Like, like think about it. Think about it. Last picture, I promise. Think about this. So Adam is just this dirt. And then God breathes. And he becomes a living being. Now question, is it Adam living or God living in Adam? Yes. 
In fact, this is exactly what Paul told the Galatians in Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Was Paul alive or was God alive in Paul? Yes! This is what Jesus aimed himself at. This is what Jesus, this was the end game for him was, no, I'm coming and the first Adam brought death, but I'm coming and I will be a life giving spirit and you can receive that life today. You don't have to wait for it. And when you receive it, as, as Paul said, it gives life and empowers your being. So what? So you can walk in righteousness. So you can have hope. So you can have joy. So you can live the life and the purpose and the destiny that God has. It's the power to be you. You were a self. You need a source. He's a source to empower yourself. And that's, so we're talking about, am I saved? It's, it's not, did you go to church? It's not even, did you pray a prayer? There are plenty of people who prayed prayers and never got saved. It's, did you surrender whatever your source was? So that he could fill you with himself. Did you reconnect to the source that gives life to you. So we're talking about receiving salvation. Yes, it's receiving forgiveness, sure. Receiving the, the gift of righteousness, yes. But you know what it really is? It's about reconnecting to the source that you were created to house so that God living in and through you, you get to be you. That's what it's about. Risen. Amen. Why don't you get the card there again? And um, here's what I like to do every, every Easter. Try to make you think, but we're almost done. There's an A and a B and a C and a D on that card. And I'm going to ask everybody to participate. And if you're watching online, you got a text that tells you how to participate. But essentially, you're going to put your answer in the text thread and just hit send and we'll gather that. But here's what I want you to think about is your relationship with God. Are you alive? Are you dead? Where are you at? And, and so A, B, and C, and D, this is what they represent. They're going to put it on the screen. But, but A is I have, a, I have a vibrant and growing relationship with Jesus. All right, now don't mark them. Let's read them all through. B is my relationship with Jesus has grown stagnant or, or it has even regressed Meaning, man, I used to be close and I used to have great devotional time, maybe or prayer time. And I used to have, you know, I just, I used, used to be really close to God, however you want to describe it. But man, honestly, I just got distracted and just busy and maybe I still never made it back from COVID. I, I don't know, whatever. And then C is like, I know I need a relationship with Jesus. I know I need to be made alive and I want to be made alive today. Like I want to receive Christ today. I, I, this is me today. Like today I'm choosing a relationship with Jesus. I want to reconnect to the source. And then D is just some of this. I'm just not ready. I don't desire a relationship with God. And if that's you, I want you to be completely honest. I, this, this is my favorite people every year because we get people that will check this box because they came with a family member, a friend, and it's like, I'm not ready. And we don't hassle you, by the way. We just want you to be honest. We just want you to say, this, that's where I'm at. Like, you know, it, it was fun and all, but I'm ready to go eat dinner. And thank you. That's totally fine. <laughs> totally fine. But here's what I'm asking is just like where you're at right now, your relationship with God, to assess it and, and not just be honest with God because he already knows, but be honest with you. Be honest with yourself. And, and if you're in this room and you're, you're a D, praise God for you, mark that. And if you're a C, praise God, mark that. And today we're going to reconnect with the source. And if you're a B and you're like, man, I used to be close to God and I just kind of got busy and everything, then here's my question is, can you reconnect with God today? Can you put him first today and can you figure out what you need to do to keep him first and, and to, to, to better and grow in your relationship with God? And then if you're A, praise God, I'm for you and just keep going. And so as we pray, I, I just, I want you to, to honestly just check where you're at. And then by the way, if you're in person, 
We're going to turn them. We have offering boxes in the back, and on your way out, you just put them in the offering boxes. But God, I just pray right now that every person, God, you just show us where we're at. And Lord, if there are people in this room and maybe they've, maybe they've been, you know, maybe they've been trying to fill up with themselves and they've tried everything they can try and they're not alive, speak to them. And if there's people in here and God, honestly, they, they thought they were doing okay because, you know, maybe they went to church one time or they were baptized one time or grandma prayed for them or something. And, or maybe they've been doing lots of good and they thought I can do more good than bad. Maybe they're great, moral, wonderful people, but God, they're sitting here and they're like, you know, I never knew salvation was that. I thought it was contractual agreement where I pray a prayer and then God takes me to heaven. I didn't know it was about being raised to life and having the life of God fill me. God, if that's them, speak to them. God, I just pray for all of us, Lord, that we today would just be conscious that we are a self and we need a source. So right now, I just want you where you're at to check whichever box. Just say, this is me. And then as you check that box, I want to pray. If you're, if you're in category C, I want to pray with you where you're at. So let's just bow our heads. And if you're in category C and you're like, I need to be made alive. I want to be forgiven, but I need to be made alive. Then I just want you to pray your version of this prayer. Just where you're sitting, heads bowed. We're just taking a moment with Jesus. And I just want you to pray. And you use your words. It's the faith that, that makes the prayer work, not the words. But I just want you to use your words, but it'd be something like this. It'd be like, God, I believe in you and I believe in Jesus Christ. And I believe that he did die for everything wrong I've ever done. But I also believe he rose to make me alive so I could rise. And God, today, I just profess that I, I choose Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I ask you to come fill me with your life and make me alive and help me to live for you the rest of my life. Help me to be a self with the right source who you created and redeemed me to be. In Jesus' name. And God, I just pray for all of us again this Easter weekend. God, let us be reminded that we're a self that needs a source. And you are the only source that can make us alive. And God, we celebrate that that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. God, thank you that Jesus came so we could live. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Come on, can you give Jesus one more praise? And... All right, I'm, you can stand. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come and I'm going to ask you to do a big favor, but if you, if you check C, we would love just to pray with you. We want nothing weird. Just want to pray with you. But if you need prayer for anything, we want to pray with you. So our prayer team will be here. We would love to pray with you. We're so glad that you celebrated this weekend with us. We wish you the best. God bless you. Thank you. We love you. Turn your cards in the offering box and go and have an amazing weekend and realize that you are alive in him. God bless you. We'll see you next weekend.